And one thing was really clear to me that people really want to be part of the change in the city. It doesn't really matter where you go. People love their cities and they want to be engaged in them. And I really believed they'd want to invest in them as well. And so I really thought that this little rule, regulation crowdfunding, might open the door for developers to be able to raise money from people in their neighborhood, from people who cared about them, from people who cared about their projects, from people who knew them. Um, and that's really what seeded small change. Welcome to Human City. Our guest today is Eve Picker. And how do I even begin to explain her? She is an absolute badass architect, urban designer, real estate developer, fintech pioneer, urban change agent, lover of cities. You can find her at evepicker.com uh, with her own widespread city lover podcast. Check it out. And now, she has started Small Change at smallchange.co, which is a real estate crowdfunding platform with a focus on impactful projects. It helps get untraditional projects funded to have a big impact on their cities and much, much, much more in the episode. Do you want to know how impact real estate crowdfunding works, how Eve arrived at Small Change and how you can get involved? You got to listen to hear about it. Enjoy, enjoy. Eve, welcome to Human City. Oh, hi, Stiggs. Thanks so much for having me today. All right. So what was your neighborhood growing up? Oh, I grew up, um, you know, I live in Pittsburgh now, but clearly this is not a Pittsburgh accent. Yeah. <laughs> so I grew up in Sydney, Australia, um, which is um, really quite different than Pittsburgh. Um, yeah. It, yeah. It's a, a pretty contemporary city. It's very young. Um you know, the history of Australia is much younger than the history of the United States. So um, I, I suppose I grew up in what you'd call an inner ring suburb, um, yep. you know, fairly, fairly suburban, but in a pretty dense city, um, which had good transit. Nice, nice. Yeah. So, I mean, you, when you grew up, did you know you wanted to be in a city or like, I wonder how like, how did you end up getting into city planning and moving to Pittsburgh? Where did that come in? I think it's been a really long journey. So, um, you know, I was always, I have to go back to Lego blocks when I was little. I was always yeah. really interested in building things. I think I'm a maker by nature. Um, I, I like making things. And um, um, at the time when I finished school and went to university, you know, there were not as many options as there are today. Um, and, and I was looking for a career track that would combine creativity um, and 
I want to say precision or analytics. I like numbers and uh, I, I was really concerned that if I just moved into the world of art, that wouldn't be challenging enough for me. Yeah. So I really chose architecture for that reason. I thought it would give me both. Um, and I, um, and so, you know, I spent six years learning how to be an architect and a, a lot of different things a, along the way. And I think during that period of time, my interest in cities uh, became much clearer. I was uh, always a little disenchanted by very large, um, iconic architectural projects. I, I found them a little bit disturbing because they were more about the architect saying, I'm here, look at me, than actually adding something to the city. And I think, you know, my interest in cities came into focus during that time. Um, uh, after I completed my studies, I worked for a while. I actually worked in Europe as well. And, cool. and then I decided I wanted to do a master's in urban design, you know, specifically because I realized I had this interest in cities and I wanted to understand where that thinking was taking me um, and to understand how cities were designed, not just, not just buildings. And so I applied to and, and got into Columbia University, which um, I think really set me, that one year really set me on the path that I've taken for the rest of my life. Wow. Cool. Yeah. I mean, in saying you're an architecture city planner is like severely limiting what you've done. <laughs> so. <Yeah. laughs> Uh, well, it all it all really it all really starts it all really starts there. And you know, I had I went to Columbia University. It was a one year master's program, and they only took architects um, because really they it wasn't urban planning. It was really the um, urban design, the three dimensional design of cities. So you really needed to understand how architecture worked to be able to tackle that master's program. And the teachers we had. Um, one of them was Stan Eckstart. And, you know, he said some things at the time that really kind of transformed my life. He taught us to look at cities and buildings along streets in a, in a different way. And, and that really has stayed with me. Um, you know, I, de I developed buildings. I, 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 I developed a small uh, real estate development practice really kind of based on that, that every project I would tackle would make a difference on the street in the neighborhood it was in. I've, I've never really, I'm not in, although I love deal making, I'm not interested in making deals on a greenfield in the suburb. I'm interested in making deals and things happen where they're going to make a difference inside a city. So that, that really, that really was sort of the beginning um, for me. Totally. Yeah. Um, and we're going to get to your current, um, sort of how you're doing that and sort of supporting others to do that work with small change. Sure. But, uh, before I get there, um, so although like every city is different, what do you think Pittsburgh has done right that others can oh. learn from? You know, Pittsburgh really kind of was the other part of my transformation. I, I, I ended up here just purely by mistake. It um, was never intended. Um, I, I came to the States um, with my husband and 
made him come because I was <laughs> I was going to do a master's program and then he did some postdoctoral research in Princeton and nice. and then he got a fellowship in Pittsburgh and then he got offered a job here so we stayed mm. but what was really interesting for me um, you know maybe other people would have seen it as unfortunate but for me it was an amazing amazing learning experience when we when we came here Pittsburgh was um, you know not in not in great shape um it had lost a huge amount of its population um you know people inside the city were very down on themselves they really i would say this is a, a gorgeous city to them and they would say back to me you don't really mean that do you but it it is it's this wow. little jewel of a city with amazing architecture it has a very dense little downtown that's um that's really um bounded by these three rivers it's it's got interesting topography and a, a variety of interesting neighborhoods and and so I got to um, sort of experience the journey of that city remaking itself which was an amazing thing to experience and I you know I saw it being tackled in all sorts of different ways by by um, um, Mayor Tom Murphy by um, the University of Pittsburgh transforming itself like many, many different ways. And because the city was, um, you know, not, not a hot market, it was affordable to kind of do projects and ex experiment and sort of become a small developer without needing a boatload of cash. So um, I worked for the planning department here, which taught me a lot about the way that cities think about, the neighborhoods they want to help transform. Um, I helped form a nonprofit in my neighborhood, a nonprofit development corporation, which helped me understand how, again, different city departments think about what they're going to support in order to transform a city. I mean, all of that was was background for what I do now, and I I loved every moment of it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, it's a great um, story. I mean to see that transformation and also be part of it. And that's um, super yeah. special. So Pittsburgh now is just radically different to when I moved here. It is a, a vibrant city. Um, the demographic has changed for a while. I think we were the only the second oldest de demographic in the country, um, second to Dade County. Wow. <laughs> and now, you know, you really, you re you really, you really feel young people here now, which is a wonderful thing. Um, you know, it's been transformed oh, cool. also physically. There's more and more real estate development. I mean, there's still a lot to do as in any city, um, but that's an opportunity for everyone, you know, like not everyone can afford to live in the hottest neighborhoods. So it's great to have other small working class neighborhoods that have great architectural stock, um, my son lives in one of those and Pittsburgh's, cool. you know, pretty amazing, got amazing wealth in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's got the, it's got so much to it and the history component. Um, yeah, I'm sure. Yes. So yes. much <laughs> beautiful stuff. Okay. Yes. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let's get into small change. So what is small change? Well, so small change is a real estate crowdfunding platform, which is quite a mouthful. And essentially, we we put together um, investors with real estate developers looking for equity um, to complete 
what we call transformational deals. And we do this using securities laws. So it is an investment crowdfunding platform. It is not a, a donations crowdfunding platform. Um, that's, that's basically what small change is. Um, I can give you a little more background if you want on how that's possible. Yeah, no problem. So yeah, basically anyone can come and not, anyone, uh, yeah, anyone over the age of 18 can come can and invest, invest on, and, in real estate on our platform. That's and correct. make a return. And I guess, and hopefully, hopefully make a return. One can never promise that. Yeah. That's yeah. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> but hopefully, you know, hopefully make a return. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And so why, why small change? So, um, why small change? So let me talk about the securities laws first a bit, if you don't mind, because yeah. it was, um, you know, it was kind of coalesced with everything that was happening in my in my development world. So in 2012, the um, the Obama administration actually promulgated um, the 2012 Jobs Act, and in that Jobs Act were some um, rules that with that had the intention of moving crowdfunding for donation to crowdfunding for investment. By that time, uh, platforms like Indiegogo and Kickstarter were extremely active and doing re really well. And there, and there were some people who were not happy with the fact that they'd made a donation to companies that then turned around and um, sold for a lot of money, like Oculus um, was one of them that made a lot of money um, based on people yeah. who had really donated to them to get them off the ground. And so there was a real movement as to, you know, how do we get these donors to actually become small investors? And then we also know that small businesses, just like small buildings, are often supported by family and friends. And there was really no legal way for them to invest. It was really only a way for accredited investors to invest. And yep. accredited investors, someone who's had an income of $200,000 for three years or has net worth without their home of a million dollars. That's only about 3% of the population. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and think about in real estate, not only is that only about 3% of the population, but you have to know someone doing a real estate deal to be asked to participate in it. So um, a really pretty uh, elite and select group of people could invest in, in real estate. Um, so the Jobs Act did a couple of things. It took two existing. It, it broadly said, um, we're going to let people, we're going to let um, platforms and people advertise these the sale of securities um, so that people can invest in businesses or in real estate. And that had never been permitted before. They took two existing rules and wrote a new one to make that happen. Well, it was a new one that really caught my attention. It's called Regulation Crowdfunding. And um, it took until mid-2016 before it was written and implemented. So it took a long time after the Jobs Act to, to get it um, actually up and running. But that rule was the SEC's, the Security and Exchange Commission's, first attempt at democratizing investment, really democratizing investment. That rule says um, that as long uh, that, that, that funding portals that are electronic crowdfunding platforms could manage the business 
of putting investors with developers um, as long as they followed all the rules and as long as they yeah. did everything inside that rule and as long as the issuer or the developer raised money on the platform, anyone over the age of 18 can invest. And I thought that was a pretty remarkable rule because, you know, at the same time as this was emerging, my formula for real estate, I had a small real estate development portfolio that I'd really built with the help of the city and the Urban Redevelopment Authority. They had programs that um, really helped small developers who wanted to focus on underserved neighborhoods, on vacant buildings, like I did. And so they had second deferred mortgages and matching facade grants. And um, I only needed to come up with 5% equity and I could put sweat equity into deal. So it was possible for, for me to do projects in in a way that, you know, big developers would probably never consider, or, you know, I didn't have to have deep pockets to make those things happen. But then um, in the late 2000s, the bottom fell out of all of that, not just because of the meltdown um, in the banking industry. That definitely had an impact because banks became much more conservative and demanded more equity of developers. But the Urban Redevelopment Authority that had a lot of those secondary um, loans and grants also lost a lot of money. Um, they lost a lot of the funds that went to them because of changes that the Bush administration had made. And so I found myself um, wanting to do these projects and just simply unable mm. to complete the capital stack. And, you know, at the same time, I'd gotten this training in Pittsburgh and, and I traveled all over the country. And one thing was really clear to me that people really want to be part of the change in the city. It doesn't really matter where you go. People love their cities and they want to be engaged in them. And I really believed they'd want to invest in them as well. And so I really thought that this little rule, regulation crowdfunding, might open the door for developers to be able to raise money from people in their neighborhood, from people who cared about them, from people who cared about their projects, from people who knew them. Um, and that's really what seeded small change. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's, um, it sounds like you caught it right at the perfect time, you know? I'm not sure about that, but <laughs> it's taken a really long time. It's really kind of accelerating rapidly now, but it, it took a long time to, to get it up and running. It's oh, I'm sure pretty intense yeah <laughs> yeah dealing with the uh, i'm sure you have to deal with yes. the sec or whatever yeah it's we have to be members of finra that's the what the regulation requires and huh. and so we're almost like mini broker dealers and i didn't even know what a securities was five years ago <laughs> so i had a yeah. lot to learn and i needed to learn about compliance and you know a, a lot a lot um so same thankfully yeah. for anyone using the platform all i have to do is you know, they could see the projects and they could see sort of what people are working on across the country. And yes. within that, you have what's called, I think you have like a, an index, right? Right. You so rate we, each project. We not satisfied with making it hard enough for myself. I, I We took it one step further. <laughs> and we have, um, I suppose, a filter that we um, overlay on our platform. We really want to raise money for projects that, will make a difference in some way. And um, I really believe that real estate is the most important 
way that cities can become better. And that I I believe also, and this is not their fault, that banks really kind of squash innovation because what they do is lend to the same thing over and over and over again. Um, you know, you have to have an appraisal to get a loan. And if if you're the first development project in that neighborhood and there's no comps, then you're not going to get the loan. And that's it's kind of a vicious cycle because we need innovation. We need innovation in housing projects. We need innovation in everything after this pandemic. Things are going to change in real estate and we need sort of the flexibility that developers can experiment and try new things and kind of move things forward for all of us um, in a meaningful way. And I, I suppose that's the role I would love small change to have, almost like um, an innovative community bank. You know, we will help you raise money for projects that perhaps aren't quite in the mainstream. So our change index, um, which kind of keeps us honest, um, is a survey we take, uh, we have all developers take with us um, and their project really must get a 60% score or it's not a good fit. We won't raise funds for them. Um, And there's many ways for them to score. We're not, um, how can I say this? We're flexible about how projects can transform cities. Um, For example, a project might be a high-end home but it's on a lot that's been vacant for 30 years and it's net zero. And that could be transformational yeah. or it could be affordable housing, uh, like a project that's on our site right now, that affordable housing project that helps tenants save money towards a down payment on a home. In that case, nice. you know, they're scoring so highly at that end that whether or not they have a green component, the building doesn't really well it always matters but it's not it's not the most important part of the picture or it might be an ugly building that um, is repurposed as a as a business incubator in an in an underserved neighborhood where people really need jobs so it, there are many ways for buildings to help transform places and we're trying to capture that with our change index and you know every now and then an odd project comes along that doesn't quite fit it um, but for the most part, it works very well. So we won't raise money for Dunkin' Donuts on a greenfield. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, they have plenty of other places to go for money and um, they won't fit the change index for many reasons because they don't have a street front. They don't spill out in the street. They, they have parking that's really on the street edge. They're um, not walkable. They're, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's, there's many sort of, features that we build into the change index that um, that we think are important for making better cities or small towns. It's not just about cities. Totally. Yeah. Um, I love that. I think that's um, the best. I mean, just not only is it easy to go on and sort of see the projects and it's just like a really good experience, I think, for the person going to use it. It's just like really purpose driven and um, for creating human cities, you know. So yes, it's it's, it's perfect. So. Uh, <laughs> uh, what what type of offerings do you have right now? I wonder projects on. Well, the I site? can't I can't talk about them too much because the rule says, you know, in order to democratize investment, mm-hmm. everyone should see all the information about the projects 
only on a funding portal. So I can't talk about the terms, but I can talk in general about the offerings. Right now we have five live, which are really kind of wildly different. One of them is um, an affordable housing project where the developer plans to set aside 10% of the tenant's rent into a savings account, which is their funds um, that will provide them with educational tools to become credit worthy. And, um, and the goal is for them to raise funds so that they can buy a home. So that's kind of building generational wealth. Um, a minority developer is doing this. Um, a second minority developer is, um, um, is offering um, investors an opportunity to co-own a small community shopping center in, in a neighborhood with a very large black demographic um and uh you know this is more of an ad a a value add project the 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 goal is they they have very strict criteria for choosing these shopping centers it's a very experienced developer that has been in this business sort of business for a while they're looking for you know it's cash flowing from day one um so it's a different than a ground up project but their goal is to do it 100 times over they really want to open the door for black investors. And then another one is um, a completely different project, a team that is purchasing, that has been focused on the Berkshires in Massachusetts, which used to be, you know, a very wealthy manufacturing um, area. And so has these uh, amazing um, estates that were owned by, you know, manufacturing moguls that are really pretty well sitting idle now. And their right. goal, their goal is to to purchase purchase them and repurpose them as event, I suppose, event buildings or large homes that you can um, rent almost like Airbnb um, at a really reasonable price so that, um, you know, it's, it's, staying in luxury and um, for the sharing economy. <laughs> um, yeah. Extremely competitive with a hotel, for example, if you have a small wedding or something like that. So they're restoring the building. Um, they're making it carbon neutral. They're, you know, it, it has all sorts of interesting, it's a very interesting deal. So. Um, totally. Wow. That's, it's all exciting. I mean, it's yeah. really wide and ranging have, too. So we have another small ground up, um, short stay building that's being built in Wynwood, Miami by a South American team. That's a, a very nice piece of architecture. Um, and oh, why can't I remember the last one? Oh, yeah, this is uh, a, another great project, very different. A, um, a, a company that is, has, has figured out how to build um, uh, ADUs um, in Portland, Oregon, um, based on the new code that is um, the ADU code that is statewide, um, they are able to build one-bedroom ADUs in a backyard for 115000 wow. versus the That's average cheap. of 250000 for a one-bedroom unit. They have a manufacturing process to do this, and they... Um, they arrange a ground lease with the homeowners so the homeowner doesn't have to go out and borrow funds. They do. And they're raising funds for a portfolio of small of the next round of ADUs that they want to build. Um, you know, and ADUs are really important because, 
because they're a very quick and easy way to add housing in neighborhoods that already have all of the infrastructure in place. Yep. You know, transit, schools, shopping, everything's there. So um, they're, they're a pretty important piece of the, the affordable housing puzzle. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, just they, they have low impact for um, yeah. neighborhoods, you know, so. Yeah. And there's, there's more and different ones coming. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I saw them in Los Angeles and I saw that you had a bungalow court in the past. Oh, no, yeah. That was, was one like, of oh. our best races. <laughs> so cool. That one, that one went really fast. Those developers, uh, they're actually a nonprofit mm. and they um, spent a long time making sure it was entitled. It took a long time yeah, to get that sure. little offering live, but it, they raised the money really fast. It's a pretty iconic little project we were happy with that one yeah i did another one we did another one in la early on but that was not that was before reg cf was live so Mm. it was um accredited only in which was also an interesting project so and yeah nice all right so you're all over the country then we're all over the country yeah um not all over but we're certainly talking to people all over the place yeah uh how was the pandemic shifted your offerings well it's accelerated them well and i'm not really sure why <laughs> um crazy. yeah it's been really crazy it was very quiet in the first half of last year and that wasn't so bad because i actually had covid19 so mm. um it gave me it gave Sorry me a moment to recover <laughs> yeah well it gave me some insight into what was going to happen i think um mm-hmm. um pretty nasty virus um and it, it it sort of stayed quiet until through the summer and then and then exploded. But at the same time, we had taken a step back the year before and pretty purposefully, um, how can I say this? We put more filters into our process. We were we decided we really wanted to um, not that we had bad quality, but we were getting a lot of inquiries from um really early on developers who didn't quite know what they were doing. And we just decided to um, sort of up the experience filter early on. And mm. so that slowed things down for a while as well. Um, but it came back with a bang in in the early fall. Wow. So we have okay. five offerings now, live now, which is, a, which is a lot and a lot more behind them. Wow. So cool. It sounds like yes. things are so now we only need investors. That's the really yep. hard part. Cool. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully this will help. Hopefully this will get in front of people. That would be nice. That yeah. would be nice. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So how, how can people see it? Um, get in contact. Oh, okay. Very simple. Like. Just go to our um, platform, smallchange.co. And um, all all the offerings are right there on the homepage. You can click into each of them um, and read what they're about. You can download the disclosure packet and really read in detail what it's all about. I mean, everything is there. We're pretty rigorous about what we, the information we provide, everything from the operating agreements to previews of the investor agreement to um, uh, documents about the risks of investing, all of those things that are required um, and we we think are really important. And we always provide a really good um, write-up of, you know, the story behind the project along with the numbers, the marketplace, and information about the team. Totally. 
And then when you go to invest, it's it's completely automated. It takes less than 60 seconds to invest. You must open an account to invest. That's actually part of the rule. You don't need to open an account to look at everything. You can, you're free to browse the site as much as you like. Cool. If you want to post a comment on a campaign, ask the developer a question, you have to open an account to do that. And that's because FINRA requires us to track all of that. Mm. Um, yeah. So, you know, we, um, we're not, we do not, um, we're not permitted to have a, how can I say this, um, an ownership of these deals. We are really a platform to make the introduction between investors and developers. So once the, once the you know, we, we gather the money, we put it in an escrow account, we do all of that. And once the offering is closed, the funds are wired to the developer. We make sure the developer knows um, how to book the funds, how to make sure you get your um, tax reporting every year. And we also make sure that they communicate with with investors. We even um, set up Zoom meetings so that they can talk directly to them um, while the project is ongoing. Well, um, nice. but we basically wire the funds to them, and then you know investors have invested in their projects. Um, so uh, we provide as much information as we can so people feel comfortable about those those people, and they're yeah. free to ask as many questions as they want. For sure. I mean, it's robust. I could definitely vouch it's for that. It's pretty robust and it's pretty done. open and you can always email hello at smallchange.co cool. if you want to know, understand some something more general about the way we work. There's also um, investor educational materials on the site, um, which explain how this rule works. And we also have a lot of um, blog posts that we put up talking just in general about city issues, financial issues, all sorts of different things. You can also go to my personal website, evepicker.com, where I post a podcast just like you every week. Um, and I, I will interview people who, um, who have something to say about impact in real estate. It's a totally. pretty wide-ranging podcast series, and there's more information there. Yeah. And, you know, one other thing, if people are really invested in, interested in investing in real estate um, impact, we're just embarking on a, a project to launch um, a real estate um, impact investor club with a nonprofit called the Impact Finance Center. Um, and we've had a first meeting and a second one is in March. Uh, and that is a great place to just sign up for free and listen to speakers who typically will include investors, both institutional and private, um, social enterprises, and a quick round of, um, of things you can invest in. Wow, awesome. That, yeah, that's uh, anyone that's interested, you, you should check all this out because uh, it's yeah, great. Yeah, and if you can't find any of that, you can find me on LinkedIn. For sure. <laughs> and, and I'll link everything in the show notes. Um, so. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Eve. This has been a blast. Well, really. thank you, Stig. I really enjoyed being here. Thanks for having me. Cool. Hey, guys. That is all. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions, just send to humancitypodcast at gmail.com. Or you could hit me up at Twitter at humancitypod. Or even Instagram at human.city. I love listening. I love hearing it. Please, guys, absolutely anything. I'd love to talk. And that is it. I'm Stig. 
Goodbye, goodbye. <laughs>